We are going to uh, just jump in this morning to a, a, the reading from Malachi. This is a new series in the book of Malachi called The Messenger. It's a pretty short book in the Old Testament. It's actually the last book of the Old Testament, and I'm going to invite you to turn there. If you have a Bible, you're going to find, if you find Matthew in the New Testament, go back one more book, and it'll be Malachi in the Old Testament. So it's about halfway through. Most Bibles, a little better than halfway through, maybe two-thirds way through. And I just want to read this, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to jump right into the new series today. Malachi 1.1, an oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you asked, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, the Lord says, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I have turned his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of God. You will see it with your own eyes, and you will say, great is the Lord, even beyond Israel. Now I want to do what we always do. I want to pray that God would help us understand the text today and learn from his word, learn from his Holy Spirit as he teaches us. So pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning, a chance to come into a new experience, a new time of worship, a new morning to greet you and to learn from you what your word has to teach us. Father, we ask this morning that wherever, whatever's going on in our lives and whatever we're facing, Lord, that we would now set ourselves at your feet to hear from you. We believe fully in your word that you uh, cause it to be written down and passed down and now read and understood by us. And we believe that is done in the power of the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit, that is our counselor, our instructor, and our sure and certain hope of an eternity with you. So this morning, as we gather now around our our Bibles and our tables and we remember all your promises to us, I pray, Lord, that you would be our instructor, that you would use your Holy Spirit to instruct us of all the things we need to know for this life and the life to come. And then indeed, Father, the, the thoughts of my mind, the meditations of my heart will be glorifying to you because you are worthy to be praised by all people, by all people in all nations for all time. You're worthy of praise. May you glorify yourself as we seek you this morning. Instruct us. We pray it in Jesus' name. And the church says, amen. Praise God. All right, so we're going we're gonna to just start here in the beginning of Malachi. Now, um, I have something special coming up for the Blast Kids, by the way, too. So hopefully if it all works out, uh, we're going to have something for you and your parents can probably watch too. Here, listen. Malachi 1.1, an oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. My translation says oracle. Yours might say a prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. It actually, the word says it's the burden of the word of the Lord, the burden of the word of the Lord. And you might have already caught a little bit of that. You know, a lot of times we talk about prophecy and about things that are coming, and we think, man, wouldn't it be great to know what God was going to do? Wouldn't it be great to know what God's going to say? Like, don't you want to hear from the Lord? But the way Malachi starts, it says, this is a burden. This prophecy is a hard thing. This is something that we're going to have to contend with in serious ways. It's a burden of the word of the Lord. And the Lord in all these passages we're going to hear today is Yahweh, the one who made everything, the God who spoke the world into existence. I think sometimes we approach God like casual, you know, like he's our bud. We can just hang out with him and chill, no big deal. But it's God. Like, you really want to hear from God? Because he might say some things that you don't like 
or that I don't like. It might be a hard word. It might be a troubling word. It might be a confusing word. And if you didn't listen to the first five verses of this book, I'm, you're going to hear them again because this book is waking up God's people to what God is doing in the world. A little bit of history, by the way, and where Malachi finds himself. I said it's the last book of the New, Old Testament, the first book of the New Testament. But the truth is that like, after this, God stops speaking. There's, there's no, no more revelation, no more prophecy, no more uh, messages from the Lord. Israel is returning uh, from Jerusalem to Jerusalem from exile. They've been exiled by their enemies. They've been captured. The promised people of God, the ones who remember the great wars where they fought with their hands up and praising God, and he won the victory. They have been captured and taken into slavery, taken into um, uh, exile, I should say, and now they've been brought back slowly over time in slow waves. They haven't all come back together for celebration, but they've been slow to kind of come back to Jerusalem to worship again, to wonder about the promised Holy Land and what this all meant. As a matter of fact, this happens around 400 BC and the temple has finally been rebuilt at the word of prophets because we will worship again, the prophets say. And now at 400, finally, Israel slowly begins to gather again in the time of Malachi. A couple of contemporaries that exist in the time of Malachi are Ezra, you may have heard of. He's another minor prophet. And Ezra actually was teaching the returning exiles uh, the word of the Lord because they had forgotten God's word. And so Ezra's job was to remind them of what God's word called for, what it commanded, what it demanded of his people, holiness and righteousness, when all the promises that would come from it. And then there was another contemporary you probably have heard of as well, Nehemiah. What do we know about Nehemiah? He built the wall, right? I mean, he came back and he said, this place is torn down. The temple's been rebuilt, but the wall around it, there's no way to protect the city. And he comes back with people and he rallies the troops and he encourages people to sacrificially rebuild the wall and prepare for God's worship in God's holy place again. And then guess what happens when Ezra and Nehemiah do their thing? Revival breaks out amongst the church. Revival breaks out amongst the people of God. They begin to praise him again and worship him again and honor him again and remember him again. But guess what? In the middle of all that, Malachi has a burden for the word of the Lord. That's why this book writes into that context, into that, about that 500 BC to 400 BC is about whenever Malachi shows up on the scene. He says, I have a hard word. The burden of the word of Yahweh, and then what's it say? Through Malachi. This is the last thing before we jump into the message of the messenger. What does Malachi mean? The word actually means my messenger. That's the namesake of Malachi. I have a message for you. It's my message for my people through this servant of mine. As a matter of fact, and here's one of the connections maybe for the blast kids, the root word malak means angel in Hebrew. Angel. I, I knew in the New Testament, messengers angelos meant angels sent from God, but here's one sent from God to God's people in Malachi. We think of angels as being the, like I said, they're fluting around, flying around, they're, they're praising God, they're doing those things for sure, but they're also messengers sent to bring a word. They come with speed and haste into our life. They interrupt all of our craziness to tell us to pay attention because God is doing something great. This is the message of the angels of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, Malachi, as he interrupts 
Jerusalem, as he interrupts the Jewish people and he begins to talk to them in hard truths about the things that are coming, about the reality that they face. The messenger of God. Again, I ask you, we say we want to hear from the Lord, but do we? I mean, I'm with you. Do we? Because he might have hard things to say. Starts off pretty positive, though. Look at verse 2. I have loved you, says Yahweh. Let's read this. But you ask, how have you loved us? And then the Lord answers, was not Esau Jacob's brother? This is a a form of teaching called didactic dialectic, right? I make a statement, I ask, you ask a question, and I answer your question, but I do all the talking, right? So I know what you're, I know what you're thinking already. I can presume your thoughts. I can presume your response. I'm going to make a claim, and I'm going to say what your counterclaim is, and then I'm going to address your counterclaim. And God uses this through Malachi to begin to teach Israel about who they are and indeed about whose they are. They ask the question, how have you loved us? You see, God starts out by making a claim, I have loved you. And their, their response in this didact, di, dialectic, <laughs> didactic, dialectic, what is it? That, that is, how have you loved us? How have you loved us? And then God says this, is not Jacob Esau's brother? You see, the truth of the matter is that Israel had begun to doubt God's love. And their journey and all their captivity and all their struggle and all the years and years of oppression, they begin to doubt God's love for them. So much so that when he says, I have loved you, they would say, really? Because we're not feeling it very much. How have you loved us? Well, this introduces a couple of characters to us from the Bible. Hopefully you know this story. But he asked this, was not Esau Jacob's brother? So I'm going to see if we can do this, but we have a video we wanted to show. This is for the Blast kids, but also the parents. This is better than I can do it. Let's learn about Esau and Jacob. Here's the quick version. Jacob and Esau were twins. They were different. Jacob tricked Esau. Esau sold his birthright for stew. Later, Esau wanted his blessing. Rebekah helped Jacob trick his dad Isaac. Jacob got Esau's blessing. Esau was furious. Jacob ran away, but God still blessed him. And that's a part of God's story. Very cool. So that was about four minutes. That's way faster than I can tell that story. So I thought we would use that. What an amazing story. What a scandal. I want to remind you that God said, I have loved you. And they're like, how have you loved us? He said, was not Jacob Esau's brother? And you're like, what kind of a story is that to remind us of at a time like this when we're doubting God's love? Matter of fact, the way God says it is, was not Jacob Esau's brother? That's actually in verse 2 still. And what he's saying is, did not Esau deserve the inheritance? Did not Esau deserve the blessing? Did not Esau, was not Esau the favored child? And yet, Jacob, you've been blessed. You were blessed instead of Esau. There's this kind of like, like story where God's going, don't you remember the story of your own redemption? Don't you remember the story of your own salvation? Don't you remember how I saved you? I loved you. Because that's the truth. I love how that narration is said. We don't know why God did it that way. But he did, right? That God chose. Matter of fact, what's the big deal about that? 
was not Jacob, Esau's brother. Esau was supposed to be the chosen one. He was much more capable, much more able. But there's an interesting end to Jacob's story. You see, he starts out as the heel grabber, and then he's the one that's kind of jockeying for position, and they said being sneaky, right? But guess what? Later in Jacob's life, he's traveling to an unknown land with his people, and he begins to wrestle with God. And God, and he says, uh, let me go. And he's like, I'm not going to let you go until you give me a blessing. That's what Jacob says to the angel. And he's wrestling with God, and, and, and he says, uh, who are you? The angel asks Jacob, and this is what he says. First time in his life, I think he says it. I'm Jacob. I'm not Esau. I'm not my dad. I'm not somebody else. I'm me. I'm the guy that has a tendency to cheat and mess up. And you know what happens in that moment? The angel of God says, you're not going to be Jacob, but Israel. You see, that's why God reminds Israel of his love for them, because they're only there because he blessed Jacob. If it weren't for Jacob, they wouldn't be, be blessed by God at all. And he brings up the story of Jacob and Esau and the work that he chose to do in Jacob's life. Isn't that remarkable? And now, after God's uh, preservation, after God's unfailing love, now the descendants of Jacob, Israel, begin to doubt God's love for them. I have a question for you then this morning, us. How has God loved us? Like, I think we have a tendency to miss it, you know? Like, we look at our lives and we go, yeah, 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 it's not bad, but, you know, God hasn't really blessed us yet. I was thinking about some things we could do to be practical about waking up and recognizing the blessing of God. I said to you this morning already, we get to rise and worship again today. We get to draw air into our lungs. We get to walk out into the creation. We're given freedom in Christ. We have all these gifts from God, all the blessings, all the favor, and yet, like Israel, we have a tendency to say, oh God, what are you doing? Do you even love us? How has God loved us? How has God poured out his favor on our lives? And listen to me, and this is the hard thing, the hard message from, from uh, Malachi. And how is it that we are receiving such grace and such favor and such blessing only to turn and ask the question, how have you loved us? Do you even love us, God? All the while, he's loving us and revealing himself to us. Well, that's what... Jesus, or God answers the question that way. Well, was not Esau Jacob's brother, the Lord says, Yahweh? And then he says this, and I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I have turned his mountains into a wasteland and his inheritance into the desert jackals. Now see, there's a, this part of the story 400 years before Christ is a continuation of the story then of Jacob and Esau, of faithfulness and of faithlessness, of a people who would sell a birthright, for a bowl of soup. There's two primary ways, and you know, it might not be fun to hear that God is hating someone, right? I love Jacob and I hate Esau. But that's what that means. I've chosen to give love to one and not to love the other. But it's not an unjustified choice. It's not an unjustified um, action because he's responding to how the people are responding to him. There's two ways that God's judgment is found over Esau and then later over Edom. And by the way, if you're wondering with me, well, what's the connection between Esau and Edom? Edomites are the descendants of, of Esau, just like Israelites are the descendants of Jacob. 
And so this was their patronage. This was their, 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 their generation to the generation to the generation before them, right? We talked about that. And so Edom was the people of Esau. But there's two primary ways, and it says it right here, the way that God judges uh, Esau. I have turned his mountains into a wasteland. All the things that are intended to be a blessing to Esau, all the things that were going to be a thriving for him have been desolated, have been wiped out. There's going to be nothing that sustains. And this is going to come back a couple more times in this book of Malachi as the people wrestle with what God is doing in the world that they see around them. But he says, ultimately, their land will be a wasteland. We're going to get into that more in a moment. And there's a second thing. So the first is the land's going to be a wasteland. And the second word of the Lord is this. And his inheritance will be given to the desert jackals. The very promise he had longed for will be taken away by what are desert jackals? I just think of like vultures. Just eating food that they didn't deserve. This wasted opportunity. Listen to me, church. A wasted blessing of God in Edom and in Esau. And so those two things, the the hills being laid low, being made low is actually the way the word reads, and also this inheritance that you were promised, this treasure, this um, enduring treasure being wasted away and eaten by jackals in the desert. And just as God had said, it says this in verse four then. So that's a word. And people would, now what's wild? I showed that because people would have known that story about Jacob and Esau. When you hear Malachi and you're a Jew in 400 BC, you would understand that story, right? But look at what he gets into, the, con, the current context. He says this in verse four. Edom might say, though we've been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. That sounds like what's happening with Nehemiah and the temple, right? And the, in Jerusalem. But he says, though we have been crushed, we will. That's a present action of the descendants of Esau. They're like, we're going to get through this. We're going to make this happen. We're going we're to pool all our resources, and, and Eden will be great again. That's what they think. That's what they think. I want to press this just a minute with you all, right? They believe it with everything in their being. Yeah, God might be against us, but we're going to rise. Yeah, that was our other problems, but we're going we're gonna to do our own thing and we're going to save ourselves. We're going we're gonna to make it happen. How do we know this is inactive? Because as we, we may have been crushed in the past, but we will rebuild these ruins. We'll rise again. Here's the problem with that. Halfway through verse four. But this is what the Lord of hosts I told you before, Lord Almighty is the Lord of the, of the uh, army. Yahweh that commands the army of angels for all the people who are going to muster and, and do their own thing and find their own way, and we will rebuild again. This is what the Lord of power says. They may, be re- they may rebuild, but I'll demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of God. So what they don't understand, church, and I hope you see this, that, and, and here's the danger. We can find ourselves in the same place. We can find ourselves saying, well, the battle belongs to us. We're going to do it right. We're going to make this right. We're going to fix all the brokenness. But the battle belongs to the Lord. And if we don't recognize that and acknowledge that, we could end up just like Esau, just like Edom, fighting against God. See, I said this is a heavy word, a burden for the word of the Lord from Malachi that he brings to the church. Edom became corrupt 
and would never prosper. They would never prosper despite everything they thought was going to finally fix it. It was never going to happen because they were fighting the Lord, Yahweh, the, the, the commander of the army. We have to understand that. You ever heard that story or that saying, being on the wrong side of history? That's their story, the wrong side of history. Because God is the one that's working in the world. And if we are not careful, we could end up fighting against God and not recognizing God's favor upon us. Being like the Israelites, indignant toward the one who's been saving them for thousands of years. Matter of fact, God says that they will be called, look, that's a future tense, they will be called the territory of wickedness. This is not gonna get better, but worse. They will be known as a territory of wickedness. Why? Like, why? How's, that, how's this fair, the whole thing? Do you hear it in the video? Esau forsook his birthright. He would rather have had a bowl of soup. And I know that's like one of those stories you go, well, yeah. But listen, I have a question for you. What would you, what would you sell your birthright for? You know, we read that story of Esau and Edom, and we go, oh, I would, I would, I would never do that. But here's the question for us. What would, it, what would it take for you to sell your Christianity? What altar would you lay your faith in Jesus Christ on because you would rather, rather have the, the current situation solved than to know the God of all eternity, the one who is redeeming our souls? What would we be willing to sell our birthright for? I know you're probably like me and you're saying, nothing. I'd never sell it. No way, not me, nuh-uh. How about ease of life? How about if life was easy, not hard? How about if everyone around you was like, man, they're, they're, they're living over there. We're over here. Where's God? In our, but they're over there having a great time. Would you sell your Christianity for that? How about for safety? Well, you know, at least I'm safe. Are you? If you sell your safety, if you sell your inheritance, your birthright. Or how about for perceived success? You look around, who's getting ahead? Who's falling behind in this rat race we call life? How many of us would sell our own Christianity just to get ahead? See, this is a hard truth, and this is a powerful word, that the people of Israel were being called back to repentance and faith in God. You have forgotten. It remind me of, you've forgotten your first love. You've forgotten the one who is redeeming you. That's all through verse four. That's pretty heavy, right? It's pretty heavy stuff. But then check out verse five. You will see it with your own eyes and you will say. See, God's speaking to his people and he's like, and I'm not done yet. We have a tendency to kind of say, yeah, what God did back there that one time, that was crazy. And then we face hard things in life. We're like, oh God, where are you, where are you? And then God's like, I'm not done yet. And you would think if anyone would know that, the Israelites would, because they've been like up against the river when the enemy's chasing them. You would think that they would remember that they were in slavery before this. You would think whenever they were being taken into captivity in a foreign land and God says, just prosper there because I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. The plans to give you hope in the future. You would think that they would remember that then even as they come back into Jerusalem to worship God again, but they're like, I'm not sure. And God says this to them, you will see it with your own eyes. 
and you will say it with your own mouth. Israel will still be blessed and, he, and they will still see God move. And what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? What does the word say? Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. He's like, you think this is all about you. Israel thinks it's all about them. What's gonna happen here and what God's gonna do? And he's like, I'm gonna do something and it's gonna be even beyond Israel. You're not gonna believe what's coming next. Get ready. And you're gonna say it, what, what, what a powerful thing, with your own, you're gonna see it with your own eyes and you're gonna say it with your own mouths. Israel will see God move. I have a question. Do you believe even now that God will do great things in Christ? Like, do I believe that even now God is gonna do greater things still in Christ that I could not fathom or imagine? Despite the circumstances, despite what I see every day with my eyes, despite my own doubting heart, even beyond what we can see. Here's the question for you. Where do you need God's hope? I mean, you know, I don't know if you're like me, but a lot of what I see is people freaking out. Hopeless. Clinging to any semblance of authority. Who will tell us the right things to do? Who will tell us the right places to go, the right ways to act? Who will save us from this corrupt generation? Have you forgotten your first love? Have you forgotten the God who called you into life? Listen to me. Have you forgotten the God that's been blessing you with favor all this time? And in the moment of desperation, you're like, I'll take the soup. Just give me the soup because I'm hungry right now. And your eyes will see, and you will say, God says, what? Great is the Lord. You know what that actually reads? Yahweh will be magnified. <laughs> despite all the doubt, despite all the concern, Yahweh will be glorified through this. You, we talked about that a little bit last week, you know, this idea of what is God doing? He's going to glorify himself. Here's the truth. We, I said 400 BC, like there's a big silence. What's going to happen here? God is going to glorify himself through Christ. God is going to glorify himself through Jesus. And just like the Israelites of old and just like the Edomites who have a tendency to forsake God's favor, God's going to do greater things. I believe that. And I believe it all the more as we don't see it coming. That God is gonna glorify himself through Jesus Christ. That he's gonna make his name known among all nations. God will be magnified in Jesus. So a final question. Do you believe that God will be magnified even beyond the walls of the church? I had a chance this week to meet with some other pastors and talk about what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to worship. You know that old question, how now shall we worship? How appropriate in our day. What, what does it really look like? But as I studied Malachi and I prayed this week about it, it's like, do we expect that God is gonna do something through all these circumstances that are so much greater than if he just left us comfortable where we were? And some of us, unfortunately, comfortable, believe, not even sure, you know, does God even love his people? Do you believe that God will be magnified even beyond the walls of the church? 
You might read that uh, story of Esau and Jacob, right, with me, and you're like, man, that's not fair. One of the, the, the one of my highest respected theological thinkers one time said, that's the story I have the biggest problem with in the Bible. I don't understand. I don't understand how God could do that to Esau. I mean, I, I get it for Jacob, it's great, but for Esau, it seems terrible. But here's the thing. He rejected God's birthright. He rejected God's plan. Do you know that God has loved you? Like, are you remembering how much he's given for you? Or we wake up much more like Esau with soup for the day. Are you forsaking your birthright even now? See, here's the truth. God offers himself in Jesus Christ to us right now for the redemption of our sins. One of the truths about Jacob was he didn't get it right. He got it wrong. He did a bunch of stuff wrong. He kept screwing up and he would lie about who he was. And it was in his moment of honesty that God redeemed his heart. It was in the moment that God changed him. And by the way, I, there's a great word on that too that you know, ever since Jacob encountered God, he walked with a limp. He couldn't walk straight anymore. Like the rest of his life, he was reminded of his fight with God and how close he was to being destroyed. But God's favor had rested on him. Maybe you're wrestling with God right now. Maybe you've been asking that question, oh God, where are you in this? What are you doing in my life? Look at all these other people, they're doing so much better. How am I in this place? I want you to know today that you can receive God's blessing in Jesus Christ. It's his gift to us that we do not deserve. Now, unless you think, okay, great, good job. You know, Old Testament preached five verses, right? Praise God. I want you to hear from the book of Hebrews. This is Hebrews, uh, let's see, chapter 12, verses 14 through 17. This is, this is the author writing to the church, interpreting the experiences of the Old Testament. 14, chapter 12, verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and be holy. Because without holiness, no one will see God. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. And afterward, as you know, he wanted to inherit his blessing, but he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. See, that's the thing for me. I think a bunch of people are like, well, I'm going to get to it. I'll consider Jesus later. I'll think about it. I'm going I'm to spend some more time examining the facts. But know this, that in those moments, you are tearing on the, the, the precipice of being forsaken forever and it is in your own heart and you know it. Don't sell eternity for a bowl of soup. Can I just encourage you, church, to not do that? Can I exhort you to believe all the more the gospel of Jesus as we believe in him? I'm gonna ask you to pray with me that God would move in our hearts in that way and then we're gonna share a time of communion. Father God, we thank you so much for the, the word to your people and it is a hard word, you know, because Father, I'll tell you, I have a tendency to read that like I'm Jacob. 
that I'm on that side. But, but too often, Father, it seems in my own heart, I'm on Esau's side. I have a tendency to say, God, how have you loved me? Oh, God, how have you put against me in this life? Father, would you move us into the, the place of blessing? Would you help us to have hearts that would cry out, thank you, God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your hope. And indeed, Lord, if there's anyone who's rejecting Jesus, who's thinking, I'm gonna make it great on my own, would you call us to repentance, to faith in the one who died to save us? Would you call us to be your people holy and set apart in this life, that we pursue you our whole lives together? Lord, how are, I'm gonna ask some questions as your followers. How have we forgotten you? How have we not remembered your love for us? How, how have we um, gone our own way? And Father, most importantly, how can we return to you? Be reminded of your goodness. Lord, would you continue to teach us and lead us in these things? Would you continue to draw us to yourself as we pursue you? Lord, cause us to forsake the things that are temporal, temporary things for things that are eternal. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, a mind to understand the truth of your word. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.